Hello and welcome to the Fancy Scientist podcast. Today I am talking about a hot button issue and something that you wouldn't expect wildlife biologists or those interested in conservation to talk that much about and it is money. But it is such an important topic. One, like I mentioned, that is hardly discussed, really needs to be discussed. And lately there's been a lot of talk about things like unpaid internships or volunteering for our career and how we shouldn't do that. So here on the podcast, I am all about empowering thoughts and about asking yourself the question, what can I do? So the goal of this podcast is not necessarily to debate those topics, but to really reframe your thinking and ultimately your belief system so that it works in favor for you to advance in this career. Now, this podcast, I'm actually a little nervous recording it because I'm going to say some things that I'm sure a lot of people won't agree with, and that's okay. I have always been a really opinionated person ever since I remember going into my sixth grade class telling them I was a vegetarian, thinking like they thought it would be thinking it was like the coolest thing, and it wasn't. But I stood up for myself and I defended myself. But anyway, I just want to throw out some different ideas there for you all to think about. Talk about also volunteering and unpaid internships from the perspective of an employer, which I have been for seven years at a museum and um, in grad school too. I also mentored undergraduate students. So I want to touch upon those things and just, again, talk about like what I've learned from the entrepreneurial world about money and how it relates to conservation and the issues that we're having in conservation, which ultimately boil down to a lack of money to invest in people and to invest in systems in saving species and natural habitat. This, this, I did outline this issue or this episode, but I also am a little bit scattered in where I want to go with this. So this one might jump around a lot. So if it's a little bit more choppy, if it's a little bit more um, abrupt, please bear with me because I'm not exactly sure where I want to go with this episode. There's a bunch of things I want to cover, but I'm honestly really excited to talk to you about money. I have been working on my money mindset for a while now. And I am excited to share with you some of the things that I have been learning and working on myself. Okay, so let's get started and jump right into it. Welcome to the Fancy Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, an unconventional wildlife biologist who never fit the scientist stereotype. In this podcast, I share with you my insights as a scientist and offer you real talk on wildlife, research, conservation, and advice on this unusual career. Being a wildlife biologist is not what you think it is. Join me to learn what science is really like and how to become the best version of yourself so you can thrive, effectively conserve nature, and enjoy this beautiful life we share with so many other beings. Let's get started. 
first, I want to set up the stage for what we are talking about. We might have a lot of new listeners who are interested in going into this field and not quite there yet. Perhaps they're still in school or maybe even people outside of this field. This podcast will still relate to you because it will help you understand how conservation and wildlife research gets funded. So for this career, or in a lot of careers, you have the expectation of getting a degree and then getting a job. Makes sense. You go to college and then you get a job. I always knew I wanted to go to graduate school, so I didn't have this experience of looking for a permanent job once I graduated. I instead focused on getting a uh, just jobs with really great experience. So I landed three internships. And since we're talking about money today, all each of those internships actually was paid. The last one, though, was in Kenya. And I was paid a Kenyan salary. And I had to pay for half of my airfare to get there. So it ended up being like nothing. I got, I got, I was paid nothing. It was essentially a year of not working. But I also didn't have to pay for it. I didn't have to pay room and board or food or anything like that. And as I mentioned, I got paid a Kenyan salary. Okay, so I did not have the experience for looking for a full-time job. And then after that, I went to graduate school. But I talked to lots of graduates and they are struggling to find jobs. And for the longest time, I would actually say that it's difficult to get a permanent job with a bachelor's degree. My feelings on this have changed a little bit. But I still think most people are better off if they get a master's degree. Because things have just become so competitive, there are more jobs now. That's absolutely true. But the jobs are more competitive. There's more people in this field now. And therefore, the expectations, the requirements for jobs are shifting. I love to use this example of a professor at um, NC State, and he's not even like, I mean, he's an older professor, but not like really old by any means. He's not close to retiring or anything. And when he got his job, he had one scientific publication. Meanwhile, myself and another postdoc in my lab, we were applying for academic jobs at NC State and we wouldn't even get an interview. So the standards are changed and that's happened at all levels. I've talked to master's students or, or master's, to people who graduated with their master's and at the last minute they lost out on jobs because a PhD, somebody who had a PhD got it instead. So so the standards have changed and therefore employers have the advantage of choosing people who have the most experience because from their perspective, they ideally want somebody who can get started right away. The faster somebody can get trained, the better. So the more experience you have, the better for them. So it's really important to have experience, but to get that experience can be difficult because it's competitive. So if you need experience to get a job, but need a job to have experience, then you're in this like stuck cycle. What a lot of people do is volunteer. Whether this is wrong or right, it is my personal opinion 
that you have to volunteer in this field to get a job because unless you do like some sort of work study program in college where you get paid it's 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 really difficult I mean I would like I said I would think it's impossible to to get a job without experience with just your degree so volunteering again whether it's wrong or right is essential And this is what sets up the issues, is that people have to volunteer to get experience, therefore you're not getting paid. A lot of of entry-level jobs, which are seasonal positions, meaning they last like several months long, are not paid well. They might give you like a $1,500 stipend, and yeah, they pay for your room and board or something, but still, that's not that much money. And a lot of organizations also hire people just under the amount that they are required to before they have to pay for benefits. So I can't remember who I was talking to about this, but they were hired for these contract positions and rehired every year with like a month off in between so that it wasn't a full-time permanent position so they didn't have to pay health benefits. So there are some real struggles in our field. And this has set up the argument that conservation jobs are only for the wealthy. Now, here is where it's going to get a little bit controversial. And I did post, I think, on my Instagram about this, and somebody did argue with me. But in my experience going throughout graduate school, None of my friends, and thinking about all of my internships, my experiences in Kenya, even with students who did study abroad program in Kenya, throughout all my postdoc and everything, I can't think of one person who was wealthy. Everyone struggled financially. So I don't know, and the reason why this is such a problem is because we have a big lack of diversity in our field. Our field traditionally has been dominated by white men. It has changed more to women. There's now a lot of women entering the field. There's still not as many women higher up in positions, but I would say that it is even now, at least in like conservation and, and wildlife careers, I would say it is 50-50 and maybe even leaning more towards women for those entering careers. But it's still a predominantly white field. And there's been a lot of talk about that this this wealth factor, that people can't afford to go into this career because they can't afford to volunteer. So I am going to poke at that a little bit, and then I'm also going to offer some solutions for you guys or a change in perspective for you guys where you may not have a lot of money, and and this is going to empower you and not discourage you from going into this career. I suspect, just based on my experience, now I know I'm only a sample size of one, but like I said, I didn't know anyone who was wealthy in this field. 
So I suspect that the problems with diversity go deeper than just wealth. And I'm not saying it's not contributing at all. It's definitely a factor, but I do think it goes deeper because there's a lot of fields that don't pay that much where there is diversity. So like teachers notoriously don't get paid a lot, but there are there's definitely a lot of diversity in the teaching field. And I mean, I guess I don't know the salaries of teachers across different states, and it varies, but I mean, for, for a lot of positions, it's probably on par with, with wildlife jobs. So you need a lot of experience to be, to be able to land a job, and you're going to have to volunteer or take some unpaid internships to get there. Another thing that I've been thinking is, and actually I have a podcast, I have a money podcast on this as well, talking um, to a financial expert in this field. In, or in, she's, she, does, she works on finances, particularly with graduate students in academia. But another thing to think about to really challenge this is, yes, we don't get paid a lot. And I want to say this all like, I definitely think we should get paid more. I'm all for paying people more. I am all for making more money. But there's a lot of realities behind this and reasons why this is not going to happen in the foreseeable future. So again, I'm giving you a perspective shift to think differently about this career. So, and maybe we can, I'll make a note to myself to talk about that. But what I want to say, what I, what I started off saying is by comparing this to different careers, to be honest, I'm not sure if it's that much different. I am just wondering if the money differences come at different stages. So for example, my best friend went to vet school. And I actually just talked to somebody on a student yesterday, or not yesterday, sorry, like a couple of weeks ago on the phone, um, or on Zoom, sorry, (laughs) on Zoom, my dog's here, so he's distracting me, on Zoom about careers in wildlife biology, and she wanted to go to vet school. And I know for sure my best friend, she had, I think, like $150,000 of student loans just for vet school. And the woman I was talking to, the student who was interested in going to vet school, didn't want to go to vet school because it would cost $300,000 in student loans. I was really blown away at that figure. That's, that's a house. I mean, that's a, that's a nice house. So it started just like shifting my perspective. And I also have a friend who's a lawyer. And growing up, I always learned that, that lawyers make a lot of money. And in fact, my, my, my sister wants her kids to become lawyers, and, and that's one of the reasons why. It's a stable income, and they make good money. But one of my friends is a lawyer, so I was vetting that with her. I was like, is it true that lawyers make good money? And it turns out they don't. Like some, I mean, some definitely do, but the amount of loans that you have to take out to go to law school and the wages or the salaries have not increased that much. So you end up owing a lot of debt and not making that much money. And the same thing for vet school. Like, yes, my vet friend made a good salary several years after she graduated, but she still had to pay off those student loans. So this got me to thinking that 
yeah, like maybe we don't make a lot of money, but we don't have that huge student loan debt for a specialty degree. Now, you may have student loan debt for undergrad, but I'm talking about a specialty degree. For master's, for thesis master's programs, if you don't know this, for thesis master programs and PhD programs, you actually get paid a stipend to do them. You get your tuition waived and you get paid a stipend. And you don't get paid a lot. You definitely don't. But I just remember thinking that that was the coolest thing, honestly. I remember when I was in college in one of my English classes that I was required to take, the teaching assistant was trying to tell us about how little she got paid on her teaching assistantship salary. And yes, it was not that much. I think it was like, I think it was like maybe 8000 a semester or or year I can't remember but actually one of the things that I thought was like I thought it was pretty cool that she got paid to go to graduate school and in in my PhD we we all got paid at our school all of our tuition was waived again we didn't make a lot I was lucky. I was on a fellowship, so I did make more than other students did. And it varies by department as well. So fisheries and wildlife students, I actually graduated in biology, not fisheries and wildlife. They definitely had lower salaries. I think it was 15000 a year. So I just wanted to like give you this to think about the different careers. It's like, sure, we don't have to go into massive amounts of debt for med school, law school, vet school, et cetera. Or sure, we don't get paid a lot of money, but we don't go into the massive amounts of debt. So again, maybe it's just that trade-off between when you are making money and when you're not. And I understand that some people may need to take out loans to make it through graduate school because they don't make that much. But again, still, you're not going into $300,000 worth of debt. And I do know that people need to take out student loans to go to undergraduate school. But I think that if um, I'm catching you early, I think it's really smart for undergrads to be strategic about their finances when they're young. And it's not, to be honest, it's really not that important what school you go to. When um, I work with people and and they're hiring, I never heard people talk about what school or what kind of degree they got. Now do the research on your job because I'm sure there are exceptions. So um, make sure you go to my website, fancyscientist.com, and search for the job tracker. And you, you will use that to see what you need. But for the most part, people didn't talk about where you went to school. They talked about like who you worked with and what experience you had. So who you worked with, you could have worked with a really prestigious scientist, but they weren't necessarily at Harvard or Princeton or another Ivy League school. So the point I'm trying to say is that you can be really savvy about your finances and save your money and do spend it on things like experience, which may not actually be paying for experience, but perhaps allowing yourself to volunteer and using loans or something to get by while you gain experience that way. Something that I actually did was I stayed home for undergrad and 
at the de- the time the decision was made because I really didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't want to spend a lot of money dorming. Well, so I did my college search really poor, poorly. My parents never went to, to college and I didn't know how to do a search. So I really only applied for schools that I, I knew well. And those were expensive schools and my local state school. Because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be, I decided to go to my state school. And I felt really weird about dorming there when my parents lived you know, 15 minutes away. Now, I know it's a privilege in itself to to live with my parents, that my parents let me stay with them. But it's also something that I felt bad about for a long time because my friends would all go away and have these amazing college experiences. And I was at home living with my parents. It was really difficult for me to make friends. I didn't have, obviously, that college experience It was good because it led me to study and really focus and, again, save a lot of money. So there are ways to go into this field that doesn't pay that much and and, and plan your finances accordingly so that you can do the things that really count in terms of getting you a job, which is your experience and your network. Okay. Oh, one other thing I wanted to talk about is that going back to like I didn't know any wealthy people in this field, it's also a misconception that you have to travel internationally for conservation to be or to be in wildlife research. I was one of the rare few people in in my graduate program in the fisheries and wildlife graduate program that traveled internationally. There were only like really a couple of us, honestly. Most people, so I went to school at the University of Missouri. Most people did their field work in Missouri locally. So they would have field sites like perhaps an hour away. So that's another misconception. And I come across this misconception all the time where people say that they want to get experience and they're looking to do a study abroad program or to pay for some international experience. I mean, really, you might want to consider doing that for for fun and for the the travel aspect of it. But to get good, solid experience, you definitely do not have to pay for it. There's lots of opportunities right where you live. And I did a whole episode about recently, a couple episodes back, about becoming a better biologist and citizen science was one of those ways to do that. I also wanted to talk about just this idea of paying people. So there's been so much talk about how bad unpaid internships are particularly and volunteering is and I follow the the wildlife groups and Facebook and if somebody posts an unpaid position there are like, you know, people like commenting, like attacking this organization for offering an unpaid position. So here are the things I want to say about unpaid positions from an employer's viewpoint. When people say stuff like pay your interns or pay your volunteers, yeah, of course we would love to. It's not like we are like evil people just trying to like milk all of the experience possible and and save all this money and stuff for ourselves. The reality of the situation is there 
is very, very little money out there. Under the traditional science model, which is grants and which is donations if you're a, a non-government organization, a nonprofit. And the other solutions that involve business, people don't seem to like. People seem to think that monetizing wildlife in ways is bad. And I went to conferences where people have talked about how this is icky. And we, I mean, we definitely do this. This happens with with tourism. Like, you know, in Kenya, where, where I did a study abroad program, safaris are, are you know, a huge moneymaker. And there's, you know, they're paying to see, to see animals. So where was I going with this? I lost my train. So what I wanted to say is that, okay, I lost my train of thought, so we're getting back here. What I wanted to say is that a lot of scientists, a lot of conservationists are uncomfortable with getting money other ways, that they want this nonprofit government funding model. And at least here in the United States, the government does not really prioritize conservation much, the environment much. So unless there's a massive shift in pressure applied to politicians to give more funding to science or to elect people who are in favor of that, which I see as unlikely in the near future, we're going to be stuck with this same money problem. So I worked for a museum. I worked independently. So I was actually funded on a grant. I wasn't officially hired as a permanent employee of the museum. My my project or my position was only there because people at the museum combined with professors at NC State got a grant to fund positions like mine. So once my position was over, I tried really hard to make it a permanent position because I loved it. But the money just wasn't there. And over that time, I think I had like 10 interns, volunteers, students. I use all those names kind of interchangeably. But we definitely had internships at the museum that were unpaid internships. Out of all of the people that I worked with, I was only able to pay one of them. And again, this wasn't because like I'm hoarding money or I'm evil or something. I worked my butt off to apply for grants to pay people. I wrote million dollar grants to NSF and they didn't get funded. So what was I supposed to do? And in the meantime, you have people emailing you, asking you to be able to work with you so that they can get experience and learn from you. So if you're out there and um, considering unpaid internships or hear dialogue about unpaid internships that you shouldn't accept them, I disagree with that. I think you can get a lot of really great experience from unpaid internships. I know at the museum, we had great programs and we did pay students when we could. So my advisor was, he was actually really good about getting grants and getting money to pay for for field assistance and working with different organizations to get funding. But like I said, there were lots of times when we couldn't and the official museum program was unpaid internships. I also don't think this differs that much from other fields. I work with um, people in business, and there's actually lots of people in business who have unpaid internships. And these, this, so these are businesses that make money. 
And their understanding or their rationale for doing this, and this is actually how the way I used to view internships as well, or I still view internships, but whether or not they're paid, I'm not discussing. But really an internship is a learning opportunity. It's kind of like an apprenticeship. And what I can tell you is from working with interns over the summer, they're really only working with you for like two, three months. So it takes time for them to get to be able to to go to the point where they can actually do work that helps you. So honestly, a lot of the times the internship really benefits the 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 intern. And this is the rationale that businesses have used for not paying their internships is that it's a learning opportunity and that you get letters of recommendation. And actually, the only time I did an unpaid, unpaid internship was when I was in theater. I I worked for a talent agency, which was also a business, and I did not get paid. So I don't know if wildlife is that different. And there are lots of unpaid internships, volunteer positions that are ethical and that provide experience. And now I would love to say, let's pay people. I'm all in favor of paying people. But one of the things that I worry about with this is that we are going to close even more doors for people. Because, like I said, the amount of funding is not going to increase unless we change something dramatically. And now I understand there are definitely nonprofits, universities that can probably afford to pay higher salaries, but a lot of these nonprofits are really strong for money. They don't have the money. A lot of nonprofits are smaller, they don't have these big budgets. And also something that I've learned from the entrepreneurial world as well is it's really freaking difficult to be a, a leader. So if you are the, the head of a nonprofit, the executive director, or I don't know if they call them CEOs and nonprofits or not, but if you don't pay that person well, you're not going to attract people who will be able to run the organization well. And if you can afford to pay someone who runs the organization well, they are ultimately going to bring in more money for the organization, which ultimately means more funding for wildlife conservation and more on the ground research and action. So that's the rationale behind that. And like I said, I used to always think like, oh, you know, how can they pay people so much to run these charities? And these charities are asking for dollars from us. But it's so they can get good people to manage those organizations. It's a really hard job. I now manage people and I've worked with, like I said, students for a long time. And it takes a lot of training and a lot of um dedication and a lot of work on yourself to be able to do this and it's also a natural talent as well so I just wanted to explain some of the rationales behind some of these things and where I was going with this is I am worried that it's going to close opportunities for people because say we made unpaid internships illegal or we didn't allow for volunteer experiences I would have to say no to so many students over the years. I would have had to have said no to, I think, like 14 students that they couldn't work with me. 
and I nurtured I was a really good mentor I really cared about my students and I know this is true about a lot of my friends too I have you know my graduate student friends are now professors and they all really care about their students they they make the experience really important to them they offer them opportunities to learn and grow one thing that's really important that I would always give my students is the opportunity to publish I would always present that to help write an academic paper with me now they had to put in the work but I presented that opportunity to them so I just wanted to say that that there's there's two sides to the story and Again, I'm not so sure that ending these unpaid positions is really going to change that much. Okay, and then some other things that I have learned from entrepreneurs is in the wildlife world, and I I, I said this because I work in, or I, I belong to group mentoring programs, and I say the things that our community, our, our world, our wildlife world, that people, scientists are saying on Twitter. And it feels and sounds so weird when I say it out loud because these people think so differently. But in the entrepreneurial world, people, the belief is really that that you can make money and that you are not a victim and there are opportunities out there for you to make money. Now, there are definitely opportunities through entrepreneurship. Like, like what I do, I create my own courses. I have a blog that has ads on it, so I monetize through that. I, um, I also have books. And entrepreneurship is hard. I I am actually one big reason why I've been working so much on my money mindset is because this has been this has been a challenge for me. I am back to square one. I no longer have my husband's salary depend on so my business is my entire livelihood. And I wanted to be this way because I love helping people and I love the science communication side of things. And I don't want to be restricted by any organization or and I want to get, be able to give people the truth. And if I work for an organization like a university or the government or something, then I will have to be really careful about what I want to say. But entrepreneurs, they are so dedicated to their business and a lot of them really believe strongly in coaching, the importance of coaching, that they are willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. So I am in this group with my coach. She is from Venezuela originally. She, Her parents came over here with very little money and she tells us a story about how she was on the phone with somebody who was offering her a program for $5,000. And at this time, she was separating from her husband. So she was a single mom. She had two kids. One of her kids was born two pounds. So so that child had a lot of health issues growing up. Her, her, her husband was abusive. So she was escaping a, a difficult situation. And she was, you know, starting her business. So she didn't have a reliable salary. And the coach said... Like, you know, my program is $5,000 and something along the lines of like, I know you can do it. And she loved that because 
she loved that somebody looked at her and didn't feel sorry for her and didn't doubt her ability at all and didn't see her as a victim. They saw all of the earning potential in her. So that's the other lesson I want to give you from this this episode that there are so many ways to make money now that are available at your fingertips like literally and yes it's going to be hard work I'm not saying you're going to poof make money overnight but there are ways if you want this career to happen for you there are ways to make it happen one of the people in my coaching program she sold her car to join the the program so you can sell stuff and actually when students I don't want money to be a barrier for my program so when my students join I give them a pdf of of different ways that they can make money instantly. There's ways to make money online by taking surveys, by providing user feedback, things like that. And of course, you know, people know about like Uber and there's pet sitting services. Somebody I know she makes an extra thousand dollars a month just from pet sitting alone. So again, it's about being smart and not having this mindset of of being a victim and being empowered. And I have been, honestly, I have been going into that mindset of being a victim, that, that this is hard for me. Why is it so hard? Why am I struggling so much? And that's when I decided to really start taking control of this and working on my money mindset through programs I am part of, through also just like listening to free podcasts. There's something else I wanted to mention. What else was I doing? Oh, I'm reading I Will Teach You to Be Rich by Ramit Sethi. And that's a great book too. So he is a son of immigrants and he he talks about like how his parents taught him. And the book title is like, I will teach you to be rich. And that's another thing is like we have such a negative view of the rich because I'm already qualifying this by saying like, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be like super wealthy and buying all these extravagant things. But as scientists and conservationists, we kind of have this like, ooh, I don't want to be rich attitude. Like it's a bad thing. And I just want us to think about if we have that mentality, how are we going to get more money into our system? Like just think about if you're working with a nonprofit, you want big donors to give you money. And yes, there are bad rich people, but there are bad poor people too. And there are good rich people and there are good poor people too. So if you warm up to the idea that money is a tool and money can be really good, money can be so good and it's what we need in our field, if we can warm up to that, I really wonder if we could attract more conservation dollars in our field, that people would be more excited to donate to us. Food for thought. So I recommend that I think I will teach you to get rich book. It's meant for people of all different levels. He uses a lot of examples of people who are in debt already. He um, talks about student loans. He teaches you how to get out of debt what to do with your money if you're not making a lot of money, everything. I love it. 
So I, again, I want I want to start to break the poor biologist mindset and I want you to start looking at what can I do. Whenever I'm struggling, I always ask myself, what can I do? There's always something you can do. So what can you do? Do you have several hours that you can do- donate to pet sitting? Or maybe you don't even have to donate. I had a pet sitter here when I was away for Thanksgiving and she didn't really have to do anything. She just had to scoop litter and let the dogs out and she had a job where she could work remotely and she just hung out at my house. So there's opportunities around you. So what can you do today? And I want you to empower yourself with that mentality. And again, there are problems out there, of course. I wish there was more money in conservation. I wish I didn't have to have this discussion But the reality of situation is this is the hand we were dealt. So I want to empower you to be able to make empowered decisions. And if this is the career that you really want to go after it and to not let finances hold you back and to just be really smart about your finances and to put your money where it's most important. Go get the job tracker. It's free. Start tracking jobs. Start paying attention to the jobs you like, what they require, and then get those experiences, education, or skills. If you need more help with that, if you want to talk more about your situation in particular, I am happy to talk to you. Just go to fancyscientist.com and there should be a contact page where you can send me an email. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at fancyscientist underscore, sorry, at fancy underscore scientist. Twitter, I haven't been checking Twitter as much lately, but Twitter at fancy scientist. Okay, guys, thank you so much. And I'd love to know what you think about this podcast if I ruffled any of your feathers as well. I hope you have an amazing day and I am sending so much love and positive vibes to all you guys. Bye. Are you an aspiring or struggling wildlife biologist, ecologist, conservation biologist, or anyone interested in a career with wildlife? Join our community, the Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology Facebook group. Based on my book, Getting a Job in Wildlife Biology, What It's Like and What You Need to Know, this Facebook group is designed to connect, support, and inspire future and current wildlife professionals or those who can't get a job. Come for daily affirmations to lead you to career success, job postings, and profiles of professionals in cool jobs. If you're struggling, feel stuck, lost, confused, or are just worried about this career, reach out to me at stephanie at fancyscientist.com to schedule a free clarity call. I've talked to over 100 aspiring wildlife professionals and those struggling to get a job, and they've told me what I also experienced. Degrees alone do not prepare you for wildlife careers. You need the right combination of experience, education, network, and skills to land the job you want. You also need to be able to convey that on a job application and sell yourself to the employer. I've looked at over 100 cover letters and interviewed graduates. I can tell you for sure they are selling themselves short, not listing all of their expertise and not marketing themselves effectively. I've talked to potential students who have dynamic personalities and sound so knowledgeable and experienced in person, but when I look at their resumes or CVs, 
none of that is reflected. If what you have been doing is not working, it's not all of a sudden going to start working. It's time to make a change. If you want to get your dream job in the fastest way possible, schedule a Zoom meeting with me today. No matter what stage of your career you are at, from high school student to graduate searching for jobs, I can help you. It is never too early or late to start. If this episode helped you or someone you know, make sure to tag me on Instagram at Fancy Scientist, at Fancy underscore Scientist, and share this podcast with your community to continue spreading the word and reach more people. Also, be sure to leave a review on iTunes to receive extra positive vibes and love from me. Plus, you'll be helping me reach even more people Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate each and every.